Welcome to the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have you ever stopped to think about who designs mascot costumes? Or what that creation process even looks like? Well, Mark Decoux, president of the mascot company, joins us today to talk about the mascot making process and about how the industry has and hasn't changed. How you doing, Mark? Hi, Elmer. I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start off by talking a little bit about what you do at the mascot company and what that company looks like. I think it would be a shorter list to say what don't I do, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm the president, owner, and CEO of the mascot company, and uh, what I do is I oversee um, basically the day-to-day operations, uh, uh, the you know the vision of the company, the growth of the company, um, everything from you know finances to marketing uh, to uh, overseeing the production schedule, you know, ordering uh, <laughs> materials as need be. Um, and so on. Um, and my biggest role basically is in sales. Um, I, I typically speak to uh, every client that gives us a call um, because uh, I want to be I want to make sure that I can I can give them the answers that they need right away. And, that, and it's something that I, I think uh, some of my clients appreciate because uh, the buck stops here. I, I want to make sure that I speak to every single client and thank them personally for contacting us. So, I mean, it's, it's in the name, right? The mascot company, but, um, so is it, is most of the work you're doing just like client based in that sense where you're, you're just going from one sale to the next and, and kind of seeing that whole process through all the way. Yeah. I, you know, when I first started, we were, we were trying to get into some other things like, uh, managing mascot programs and doing some specific marketing programs and setting up that. But, um, what we found out really quickly was what we were really, really, really good at is creating great mascot costumes and, uh, you know, from design, conceptual design, carrying it right through to actually creating a, a costume for a client. So one concept, one costume, one client. And that has served us well uh, over the last uh, decade or so, simply because we're really good at it and we're always innovating it and we're honing our skills all the time at that, at that point. Um, so that's, yeah, that's basically what we do. And of course, you know, we've kind of been there, done that we've seen it all. So we're able to offer advice and marketing advice and and we do point people in the right direction, uh, when it's appropriate. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this industry, right? Like it's, uh, it's such a, such a niche thing. It sounds like one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, you just never think about, you know, like someone had to design that someone had to work on that. How did, how did you get involved here? Well, nobody grows up going, well, I, I think I'm going to sell mascots. Or I'm going to make mascots for a living. <laughs> I don't think. Um, a long time ago, I was uh, when I was going to university at the University of Calgary, um, I, uh, I was hired as an intern uh, for the AAA baseball uh, affiliate for the Seattle Mariners. At the time, they were called the Calgary Cannons. And as part of my purview, I was um, placed in charge of, of uh, uh, the mascot program, which meant I, I was you know, managing the mascot appearances, making sure the costume was in, uh, was in good shape. And, and, you know, and I never did get into the costume because no, <laughs> I hired people to do that. Um, but I, I did have to get into it now and again, just to see what it was like. Um, and then when I, when that sort of internship ended, uh, I, I, um, was, was hired, uh, 
for, with some other with, with some other companies I was hired. And, uh, eventually, uh, a gentleman that was creating mascots here in Calgary, and he got his start with the uh, uh, the Calgary Flames and the, uh, the National Hockey League and the 1988 Winter Olympics, which were hosted here in Calgary, uh, to create their mascots. And he started a little company, and he hired me to be their um, their director of sales and marketing. Um, I was there for five years and, uh, and I basically, uh, you know, tripled his, uh, his, his revenues and so on. And, uh, when it was time for me to leave, uh, I left the company and, um, I started uh, the mascot company simply because, and, and it wasn't immediate. Um, it was, uh, it was a year or two after, but, um, I was approached, uh, at, by a former client who came up to me and said, Hey man, where have you been? And I said, well, not there anymore. I'm not uh, at, at the company anymore. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. I need a mascot and I want to buy it from you. I don't want to buy it from the other guy. I want to buy it from you. <laughs> so I said, well, what am I supposed to do with that? He says, it doesn't matter. Just make up a name for a company and, and do this and I'll, and I'll get you a sale. And I thought, well, okay, I have enough connections in the industry. I have some people. So I phoned them up. Um, he said, well, what are you going to name your company? And I went, I don't know. It's a mascot company. Why don't we call it the mascot company? Because we are the mascot company, <laughs> no other place to go. Um, uh, and and I and sure enough, uh, I put a little proposal together based on my knowledge and whatnot. And and uh, here we are, uh, about nineteen years later, creating mascots for people. Uh, that's that's how I got how we got our start. Um, and and we've been growing ever since. It's been fantastic. Wow, that's yeah. So so you've been doing this for a while in some variety or the other. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so since you decided to go on like this own vent, your own venture, um, this is clearly something that you're you're passionate about. So I'm kind of curious what what inspires you to keep doing this full time, right? Like, since you're 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 yeah. you know doing so much of the hands on work still. Well, you know, for for the first little while, the company was a bit of a side hustle. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit that was sort of a side gig. I wasn't really sure whether I can make a go of it or not. Um, and I um. I made my way selling, you know, lots of different things. I was in trade show marketing. I was in radio advertising for a while. And one of the things that I that I really um, tried to get my head around, or was having a difficult time getting my head around, was how uh, you're only as good as your last sale, or you're only as good as your last, uh, you know, your last fiscal quarter. And and that was starting to get a bit frustrating for me because, you know, it, what was getting lost in all of that was the humanity of it all. It was all about the shareholder, the share price, uh, not about the product, not about the customer. And I thought, you know, I mean, I really enjoy doing mascots. I mean, who hates mascots, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, clowns maybe you have an issue with, but mascots, not not generally. And I thought, you know, uh, I, when, when I saw the reaction of a lot of the people, when we make mascots and, and the reaction of not just the crowd in general, but individual people, the fact that, you know, somewhere, sometime, at some point, we can put a smile on someone's face um, based on the product that we're selling, that that's really powerful. And, and it's a great feeling, you know. And, uh, you know, it's very rewarding to think that, um, you know, our, our product is in is we have a healthy demand for a product and and the more we can do it i think the more it sounds a little bit altruistic but but the, the the more that we can do this the better the world is i think you know um we're 
we're not a company that makes, you know, a hundred mascots a year. Uh, we, we're a company that we, makes one mascot a hundred times a year, if that makes any sense. And, and that's what drives me because it's, I, I learned a long time ago in sales that the money I make or the money that are, or the profits we make, um, are incidental to what we do. Um, they're a symptom. Because if we do the right thing for the right reasons and provide people a good value product, the money will be, will come. That's easy. Making the money, that's easy. It's making sure that we do it for the right reasons. And that's what motivates me and that's what inspires me. And, and yeah, that's, that's why I love it so much. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's super inspiring to hear. And, and I'm interested too, since, um, you've been doing this like for, you know, a, a couple of years now, what have you witnessed any, any changes? Since you started, even before you were on your own venture, have you noticed any changes in the industry or just on how mascots work? Like, is it still mostly the same? Has there been any any uh, big jumps? Well, big jumps. Hmm, I don't know about big. I know that uh, for, for a long time, this is nothing new. A lot of people have been asking about, you know, adding things to the costumes to make them come to life a little bit more. Like uh, a lot of times we will get asked, hey, you know, can you make the eyes blink? Um, we, we have a dragon. Can you make smoke come out of the nostrils or, uh, you know, can you make the wings flap or something like that? And, and of course that's all like an animatronic stuff and, and gimmickry and all that, that I, that I always, you know, I say, yeah, we can do that. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but in general, that stuff tends to break because the more features you have in it, <laughs> it, it sort of limits the performance of the costume. A lot of times we get people calling us saying, oh, yeah, we want a mascot that's all this muscle suit that looks like Batman, you know, in the Batman movies, The Dark Knight. And I have to point out to them, look, you know what? The reality is, is that, you know, Christian Bale or Ben Affleck or whoever your, 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 your Batman is today, you realize that this is a movie. And when they're wearing these, these costumes, it takes them hours to get into it. And once they're in it, they can't really move. Right, because of the detail on the costume. Right. Yeah, as I say, it's the movie magic of Hollywood. We need to create a character that um, not only um, is believable, it's performer friendly in that it can't be too hot, it can't be too heavy. We have to be able to move around in it. And um, at the end of the day, you can't have a lot of electronics in it because. Hot tip: uh, These things get hot inside, and they get they get stinky after a while. So you got to be able to wash them, right? Right. Um, so you know, so we we try to tell people, you know what? Uh, if we can make you a good mascot, a good a really good mascot relies on the ability of the performer, and and then the costume just has to keep up with a good performer. So typically, the huggable guys, in terms of of uh, technology and so on, are really far far superior than than adding a lot of animatronics and gimmicks um when when we start talking about what has changed in the industry as a whole we can speak more uh to what people are tending to go away from and by people i mean uh clients um there has been you know a political correctness um uh, push as of late and of course there's a lot of pro sports teams that are involved with this certainly the atlanta braves cleveland indians the washington redskins um 
you know, their mascots have come under fire simply because they they are representative of something that could be considered offensive to some people. So we're we're seeing a little bit of a trend to away from those types of mascots, uh, and indeed even human type of characters like the the Spartans, the warriors, the mountaineers, the lumberjacks. Uh, all these characters, typically, when we say that, um, and rightly or wrongly, the first image that we think of is perhaps a a, a white male character. Um, so whenever we're we're considering a human character as a mascot, uh, you know, we have to consider that if you have a human character, you're automatically going to be uh, the potential of you're going to have the potential of alienating fifty percent of the population, right? And then the the human character has to be one color or another. It can't not be a color. And you can't have a plaid person running around. <laughs> so uh, for believability, right? Right. So uh, a lot of people are recognizing that, geez, maybe instead of being um, the Trojans, maybe what we should do is create a, a horse character that's wearing Trojan armor. And we've done that a couple of times as well, um, rather than than run the risk of having, you know, gender, uh, race uh, or, or some other, uh, you know, stranger danger, for instance, for kids uh, enter into the factors. So that tends to be um, one of the things that that people are, are moving away from. So that would be a trend in mascotting in general. Um, you know, there are some other companies that are very, very good at creating different costumes from different materials, uh, molded faces and, uh, and, and fiberglass heads that are, uh, that are, that are pressed in a mold and so on. Um, you know, those, those tend to have really great features, but sometimes like in terms of definition and so on. Uh, but sometimes there's some drawbacks to that as well. They're expensive. They can crack and break and so on. To make a long story short, I think the tried and true, is always best and and we tend to be the tried and true and we try to improve the tried and true is if that makes any sense at all no yeah that makes that makes so much sense and and you brought up uh this kind of a trend moving away from humanoid mascots um i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about something uh you worked on recently at uh, in that middle school in california where with pirate parrot oh yeah perfect so they're named after robert louis stevenson there's a there's a middle school in california los angeles uh, called R.L. Stevenson Middle School. And they approached us and said, well, we want a mascot because uh, our, our Robert Louis Stevenson, of course, wrote uh, Treasure Island. Uh, and it was based uh, on, on, you know, the pirate theme and so on. And that's the sort of the theme of their, their mascot and their school branding. Um, and they said, well, we would like you to make a mascot based on, a, on our logo. And their logo is basically a pirate, a very gruff pirate with a beard and a peg leg. Uh, you know, he's holding a sword and I think he's got a hook as a hand, <laughs> if my memory serves. <laughs> um, and, and I said to them, I, you know, we have this consultation as we do with every single client that calls us. We have a consultation about what they're looking for. And sometimes I've been accused of telling people what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. But in general, when it comes to mascots, I tend to know what I'm talking about and we, we tend to do the right thing. At the end of it. Um, and I said to them, I said, you, you know, who's your target market? I asked, who's your target market? That's a very, very simple question that sets the baseline for the entire conversation. And they said to me, well, 
uh, our target market is young families with younger children because we want the kids to feel comfortable at our school coming from elementary into the middle school. And we want our parents to consider our school uh, as an option for their kids as they're entering middle school. And I said, and so let me get this straight. You want to have a really mean looking, rough uh, male character that uh, to attract children. <laughs> Something's wrong with that picture. So let's let's rethink this a little bit. So we uh, we came up with a character saying, well, what what a, based on what what do pirates do? Well, you know the the, the typical uh, you know stereotypical pirate is walking around with a bird on his shoulder. A lot of times it's a parrot, a cockatoo, or a, or some type of a parrot. So we pitched creating a parrot for them dressed as a pirate. So our, our, you know, we have a nice, beautiful red parrot with uh, some green arms and yellow, uh, yellow feathers and green uh, feathers uh, as accents, a patch over his eye that he can lift up and he actually has an eye under the patch. That's <laughs> a joke. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they absolutely loved it. And, you know, when we were, when we were taking pictures of it, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if we were to get a little doll of a pirate and actually put that on the parrot's shoulder? I think that would be, <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we sent it to them. They were a little bit skeptical, but once we went through the drawings with them and then once we, we actually created it, they, they would never have thought after this, they, they, they couldn't imagine not having this as a character. It's not offensive. It's it attracts their their target market. Uh, it it's it's lovable. It's huggable, and it's a durable character that will not be politically incorrect whatsoever. Right. There's no way. There's no way anyone's gonna have any problem with a parrot. Yeah, maybe a house cat or two, but no, no, no. No, but that's super cool. To I mean, it it's, it really just seems like a like a simple solution, right? To answer that 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 to ask that question. Well, what's your target demographic? Yeah, well, one of the things that that we what I find is that I, I'm not as close to it as they are. They they have developed a brand, they've developed a logo, uh, you know, uh, and and sports teams, professional sports teams in particular, are so very 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 tied to their brand, and it's very very difficult for them to to deviate from their traditional sense. Um, you know, there's one professional sports team in the NFL in particular that we, we said to them, you've got a, a great opportunity here. You've changed your logo. Uh, I'll, I'll not name them, but, you know, I'll say, you know, you've changed your logo. Here's a great opportunity to refresh and rebrand your mascot. Come up with something that's a little bit more up to date in terms of a design and, a, and an attitude and so on. And they were so deathly afraid. Of, of switching away from what has been done in the past, that sometimes that blinds them to the possibilities of what can be done in the future. The fear of the loss of the tradition is greater than the, the sense of gain that they're going to get by introducing something new. Um, and, uh, and it's very difficult to have folks do that. And I, and I always try to tell folks, you know, it's, it's the 80-10-10 rule, you know, uh, 10% of the people, if you make a change, 10% of the people are absolutely going to love it and they're going to let you know. 10% of, of, of people are going to hate it and they're going to let you know. Absolutely hate it and they're going to say, no, we, we hate you. 80% of the people aren't either aren't going to notice or they don't really care. And they certainly don't care as much as you do, you know. So, so what happens is that people tend to get 
far too uh, entrenched in their traditions and in their ways that they that it tends to they get they get too close to it. Um, it's easy for me to sit here, you know, from a thousand miles away and say, "Well, look, you should do this and this and this." Um, I suppose, but uh, but a lot of times, you know, it's just a question of um, pushing you out of your comfort zone. Right? Could you walk us through a little bit of what that what that process looks like from being a being approached from a cl- by a client or you reaching out to a client to getting getting that mascot to them? How long does that usually take, and and what are the the big main steps going through that? Okay. So uh, normally uh, we uh, – much of our, our traffic and our, and our requests come from our website, uh, themascotcompany.com, if I can give a little, little plug. Um, and, and most, most clients uh, are uh, – the majority of our clients come from colleges, post-secondary institutions, and high schools. Um, you know, there's, they outnumber pro sports teams by a, by a huge factor. Um, so it's not surprising, but um, they will contact us usually by email, sometimes by telephone, mostly by a form submission on our on our website. We'll take a look at what they have to say, and we will always, always, always try to phone first. We'll always try to phone and say, "Hey, listen, let's have a conversation." Once we do get those folks on the phone, we'll have a consultation about, you know, what are you looking for? Uh, are you realistic with your budget? Um, are you, uh, you know, what what is your character? Have you had a mascot before? All those questions just to give us a sense of how qualified the client is, not from a perspective of whether we want to do business with them or not, but more from a perspective of uh, are they prepared to – to uh, do they understand what they're getting into, okay? Um, once we do that, then we will you know, base that based on the character that they want and based on the service level that they need. We will then put a proposal together for them. Um, and, and in general, a, a mascot can go, can cost anywhere between uh, five thousand and six thousand dollars U.S. Um, and the difference between a, a five thousand uh, dollar mascot and a six thousand dollar mascot is certainly not one of quality or durability or performance. It's uh, it's simply a matter of complication. Uh, you know, if you want a, a, a you know a generic puppy dog wearing a T-shirt, that's going to cost a little bit less than if you want you know, a, a dragon with wings and, you know, teeth and, and a whole bunch of extra added uh, definition to it. Um, so once we, we send them a quote, uh, they will typically decide to go with us and they, they say, yes, we're, we're going to move forward with you. At that point, that's when we start actually creating artwork for the client. We'll start. We'll start doing artwork based on. You know, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about, you know, the characteristics of what they want to see in their character, the definition, the attitude. You know, whether he's fat, skinny, mean. Um, you know, what kind of features they want to see in it. Um, you know, because we have a basic concept. But what kind of a dog do you want? Do you want him to have floppy ears? Do you want him to have a long floppy tongue? Or do you want him to be cocky? Do you want him? You know, all those different characteristics. And then we will put that to paper in terms of art concept. So our art team will, our, our, our artists uh, will, will uh, uh, take each character and, and make a drawing that's proprietary to that client. Uh, this can take about a week or so. And then once the drawing is done and we present that to the, the client and they sign off on it, 
then what we will do is we'll go back and we'll put specifications together. Okay, this is how we're going to create the character for you. It's about a four or five page document, very much like uh, a blueprint. And we're going to say, this is how we're going to create the head. This is how the head's going to fit. This is the material that we're going to use for the body. This is the colors that we're talking about. Here's the color schemes. And then the client will sign off on that as well. Our process is very consultative. Um, we, we want the client to be part of the process throughout the, in, the entire process. And we want them to have input as well. Sometimes we have to say no. Um, but for the most part, we always try to get to a yes for them. And we try to make sure that we give them what we can, uh, wh what they ask for, um, within reason, obviously. Um, then once they sign off on the dotted line, we schedule them into our creation schedule. Uh, they sit back, relax. We order the materials, put it into creation, and our and one of our uh, our our, uh, our creationists uh, get going on it. Um, we assign one costume from head to toe to one creationist, and um, so that eliminates the. Um, the traditional way of doing it where we have departments. We don't have one department making a head, one department making feet, one department making a body. We have one artist creating that body, or that, excuse me, that costume from head to toe so that that person knows each piece going into that one mascot. Uh, it's as if, um, you know, one person is creating a whole car. <laughs> Imagine if, if Ford had one person making the car, the entire car. Uh, we don't have an assembly line. It's, it's truly uh, an artistic process. Now, this whole process tends to take anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks from, from signing on the dotted line to uh, putting it together. And believe it or not, the putting it together part of it is the shortest part of that whole thing. We can actually put a costume together in about 10 days. Wow. Um, the... the the, the biggest time frame is basically getting all the paperwork done, the specifications, the sign off on the artwork and so on. That takes longer than, than actually putting the costume. All right. So as a, just kind of a leader in this industry, what do you see in the future? What do you see in the horizon? We've talked a, lot, a little bit about some of the trends, but do you see anything? Uh, what, what are you looking forward to, I guess, or not looking forward to? Well, I think that, um, you know, some of the some of the the things that we have been able to take advantage of uh, in the last little while have been different uh, innovations in fabrics and materials. That's kind of a kind of a new thing that we're exploring with, um, you know, with um, uh, dye sublimated fabrics and stretch fabrics and so on. That gives us the opportunity to um, incorporate more um, proprietary colors. Um, do some other definitions. Uh, we recently made a comet, believe it or not, uh, an actual comet. <laughs> and what we were <laughs> able to do is we were able to source some material that we were able to print the material uh, that made it look like the landscape of a comet. Uh, whatever that looks like, it's kind of a rocky, icy thing. But we were able to do that with a printed material as opposed to trying to airbrush and draw it on by hand. That's one of the really cool things that we're, I'm really excited about. Um, and then some of the other stretch fabrics that, that are able to give us a little bit more definition in our, in our mascots. Um, in general, I think that mascots uh, tend to be gaining in popularity. I mean, 
Uh, I don't know if you've YouTubed uh, Japanese mascots, but everybody in Japan, I think, has their own mascot. Oh, yeah. over there. They're, they're just going crazy there. They don't even need a sports team for it. They'll put it on no. anything. No, they just, just yeah. do it. You know, we're riding the subway today. Let's <laughs> make a mascot. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that that speaks in general a little bit more towards mascots being a little bit more of a, of a visceral marketing tool. And, and I think that more and more people are, are uh, more and more companies are, are, are latching on to the actual physical mascot as a presence. Uh, sports teams and colleges certainly have, have captured this and understood this for many, many years. Um, that, you know, and they've done it quite well over the years where, you know, they, they, in sports teams in particular, if you think about it, there, there's the, the chance of the San Jose Sharks trading their mascot to the Columbus Blue Jackets for a for a draft pick and uh, <laughs> and compensatory picks is slim and none. But that te- that same team, there is a possibility that they could trade their superstar away, the superstar player. Um, a mascot is a permanent player on your right. team. It's a he's a permanent student, um, and and that student will never graduate. That that player will never be traded away or retire and it will always be a constant community presence during the season during games and more importantly in the off season to keep that momentum up and i think that companies are slowly um but more and more uh are starting to realize that that their you know message uh, needs to cut through the clutter a little bit more. You know, we have the fragmentation of uh, of television. Um, you know, so we're bombarded with, uh, you know, uh, messages, uh, electronic messages, internet. Uh, and more and more people are paying less and less attention to traditional medium, media, which uh, have been the way to connect with people. And I think companies are trying to find a better, more visceral and uh, a little more uh, impactful way of, of trying to speak to people. And I think, um, you know, mascots are that, you know, and if, and if a mascot's built and managed properly, you know, it can really slow down this technological uh, advancement of, of trying to touch people, you know. And, and I think uh, that, uh, you know, a mascot can give uh, uh, attention to a to a brand in a more experiential way. And I think more and more companies are, 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 are gravitating towards that. And that's what I see as in the future. I think you're going to see more and more furry creatures running around. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that's my, that's my hope anyway. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Elmer, I appreciate that very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.